Hello, and welcome to episode number 138 of A Mic on the Podium, with me, Michael Seal. Today, I conduct a conversation with a Danish conductor who started out as a professional percussionist, but from the age of 27 onwards, he concentrated on becoming a conductor. He's held title positions in Norway and the United Kingdom, including in Glasgow, where he is currently music director of the Royal Scottish National Orchestra. And earlier this year, he started as music director of the Minnesota Orchestra in the United States. It's a very great pleasure to welcome Thomas Zondergaard. Thomas, it is very, very nice to see you today down the camera lens of Zoom. How are you? I'm very well, and how are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, we were chatting beforehand. We think it's about 15 years ago, but I distinctly remember playing for you when I, in my previous life as a violinist in Birmingham. And uh, yeah, I remember it very well. I loved it, I can tell you. I I had such a great time in 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 Birmingham, both in the hall and with the orchestra. Uh, I've... I felt I connected really well and I loved the weeks there. And actually, it was in Birmingham that I got a telephone call from my manager asking, and this is really fun, within the same hour, if I could step in for a conductor in Wales. Mm. And then half an hour, an hour later, the phone rang again. And if I could step in for another conductor with the hours and O in Scotland. And... The rest is history. I mean, I've been principal conductor and now music director of the hours and all, so I connected with them. But that was yeah. actually in, that was in Birmingham that the phone rang. It's like you've read my notebook, Thomas. I've oh. even written down about the, the, the two jump-ins. I never realised it happened on the same day. That's extraordinary. I mean, I'm going to come back to those jump-ins and relationships with orchestras later on, but that is extraordinary. I didn't know that story. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, talking of stories... Let's go all the way back to the beginning, as I always do. And I do my homework. And the earliest I can find is that you studied percussion, which I knew, at the Royal Danish Academy uh, between 1989 and 1992. But did you come from a musical family? And was percussion the first thing you played? Or did you start out on piano or singing or something else? Michael, I was so lucky that I grew up in the city of Jod- the, the I would say the cultural capital of Jutland, Mm. uh, a city not far from the coast that faces Great Britain. And uh, in the 60s there, they worked very hard on getting this city the most interesting city for anyone to move to. So they uh, allowed um, an Italian actor to open his own company there which became one of the most amazing experiences I had as a kid. And I remember it uh, as it was yesterday. Uh, the music school was there uh, and still is there. They were very focused on uh, decorating the city. Even if this is, we're just talking 30,000 inhabitants at this mm. point uh, with art. So they actually have a Giacometti. They're very, very proud of that. They they bought that at a very early stage because they were very interested. Electronical music in Scandinavia was the place and of course they built an enormous library which was my second home and this was where i went and listened to music and and had board scores mm. to come home with so there was a marching band one day that i heard and i said immediately to my parents i actually went off i ran off so they couldn't find me 
They were so scared. But I stood and looked at this marching band and I said to my mother and father, I wanted to be a part of that. Within very few weeks, I was in the music school. My uncle played uh, trombone. He showed me in the weekend uh, uh, at my grandmother's, I remember that very clearly, how to do a drum roll. And he said, what about, would you like just to try and play the drums? Anything. Yeah. I just be part of that music. Came into the music school, uh, got into the academy in Copenhagen, left school, actually. I didn't finish my school because I was so occupied about just getting started with the music. Within one year, I saw a poster of the European Community Youth Orchestra that I then was so lucky to be part of. And literally within three years, I was so occupied about music, everything that been, I've been looking for in my teenagers years um, became real. You know, I, mm. I, I got a job in the Royal Danish Orchestra at the opera there. And as I said, traveled with the uh, European Union, as it's called now, Youth Orchestra. And that was the seed to to I was really sure that music would be um, my life. And were you a percussionist in the broadest sense, or were you focusing on being a timpanist at all? Um, I don't really know whether I remember whether you were one or the other. Uh, I've I've covered it all actually. I at some point when I actually started thinking about. Uh, conducting a little bit, I wanted to to do both things in Freiburg in Germany and also learn German, mm. which liked uh, the German language. So I thought I could do all three things. I could mm. actually, this teacher could teach me uh, more about the timpani, which there was a free job in the at the opera. So I thought maybe I, I would go for that, but I need to uh, find a teacher for that. And he was also teaching conducting. Mm. And then I would learn some German. So I went down there for half a year. And my German was really good. I got a job as a timpani player, but he was actually not very present. So present so he could teach me any conducting. So I had none of that. But um, that was also the only thing, actually, that was missed out on that journey. We're going to go to conducting soon, uh, sort of via the route of being a professional musician at the Royal Danish Orchestra. Um, and also, let's face it, with the EUYO, as it's now called, or ECYO, as it was then, you would have been, you, know, you would have encountered many great conductors, I'm sure. Before we get into how you decided to change uh, from poacher to gamekeeper, as they call it, from an orchestral musician to being a conductor, which, you know, a journey I've myself taken... What do you remember back of those days? You know, who conducted you? The, the seminal moments, important moments where you you, you realised actually this these are great conductors. And you know, how do are there, are there things that you lean on now, rely on now that you remember being you know being subliminally taught by those people in those days? Yeah, first of all, I would actually say that the main thing that I discovered was how different it could be between an orchestra and a conductor and mm. it would it would matter not only on the conductor so therefore i can tell you wonderful names that i work with but i'm also very aware that the circumstances are very very different mm. um so for my job at the opera which where we had wonderful conductors also for ballet 
Mm. We also had not so wonderful conductors. And we also did not play very well all the mm. time. So it's not just the conductors. It's I actually got into the, the committee of the orchestra for the same reason, because I wanted to verbalize the whole fact, which I'm sure you've listened to all your life as well, that it's finding the the right balance of where where should the discussion begin? Mm. Should we start from a different level whenever whoever steps into the uh, on the podium? So that compared to a youth orchestra that gets a chance in their lifetime and they're aware of that, uh, as we did in the EYO, and they were also aware that they were picked out of many thousands to mm. give the chance to play with, yes, I was fortunate to play with Giulini, Subin Mehta, Haiting, Claudio Abado, Rostopovitz, just to mention some of them. Um, mm. And of course they inspired me by their personality, by their incredible uh, music making. And not least what happened with this youth orchestra and their love to their different kind of work. Sorry, the conductors love to the youth energy. Uh, not least, I remember Haiting uh, getting up on the podium and being so surprised about this young energy and so overwhelmed. So he started uh, nearly crying when he said, I'm so happy to be back here, but, but I, I'm not a man of many words, so can we just please start making mm. music? to probably also that I realize now to Abada that maybe at some points in his life, he's been very interested. I mean, he, after all, he was the guy that started. He was the guy right. this, this orchestra and also both Chamber Orchestra of Europe and Marla Chamber Orchestra. So there was something in that youth that he appreciated and loved. And I'm not saying that that he was struggling with settled orchestra or anything but it's just a different energy mm. and and the experience of course not to mention that um but uh it was incredibly worthwhile for, for me to um to learn about different levels where you can take things from if i can put it that way mm. This youth orchestra had two weeks of of sectionals, so they sounded amazing mm. on the rehearsal. That that's not the way, as you know, that's not the way a professional orchestra works. They are quick in different ways, mm. and 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 come to the table with different things, with the experience and and and, and not least sound. I would say a much more gathered sound, where where these young people from all over Europe would come from very different schools, not least the strings, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. I mean, you know, the, there is that difference. You know, it is the creme de la creme of Europe who are chosen, uh, hand-picked, but they're put in a situation uh, which is very unlike what, you know, even in Germany where they have more rehearsal than they, we do in the UK, but it's nothing like as much as two weeks, you know, to, to make sure that they sound unified but I suppose it's needed, as you said. You know, there is a different approach in the in the type of string playing schools from across Europe. But yeah, it is totally different to what 
you would expect in the profession. It's interesting you you went on a, an artistic committee when you were working as a pro. I did the, much the same around the time I started conducting. Um, but I, I was in charge of collating the forms, whereas in the old days where you would write down what you thought of that week's guest conductor. Yeah. And it was before the days of doing it online and all of that. So that you would actually fill out a form. And I was in charge of collating them. And I, me and the other two committee members would sit with Stephen Maddock and we'd, the, the chief executive, and we'd tell him what we thought, you know. And, and I mean, I had to stop doing that because eventually I became one of the people who was being assessed. So I, I had to leave <laughs> the committee. Uh, felt a little but, bit wrong. But, uh, Michael, if you prepared well for this meeting, why didn't you actually bring this one? <laughs> <laughs> About me. <laughs> it was a long time ago. I would imagine they've been incinerated or or um, whatever since then. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, what's interesting is what you said about, you know, sometimes the orchestra would play well, but with a bad conductor. Sometimes they would not play so well with a, a good conductor. Yeah. Now, Sakuramo once said to me, you know, I, there are times I've conducted the orchestra far better than they've played, but there have been times they've played far better than I've conducted. You know, and that yeah. that, that sometimes happens. Um, it really does, yeah. And and well, and sorry, but you speak. No, no, no. Uh, not at least this is your own feeling. Let's not forget that either. I mean, yes, that could be Sakura's feeling, but we might, as an audience, just think, "What do you mean? You were wonderful, Sakura. Mm. You were fantastic tonight." So. It, it, it is so difficult, but it's just worth keeping in mind, yes. So at what point, let's get to conducting, uh, on your Wikipedia page, we know, as we know, we don't write our Wikipedia pages, other people write them. It says, from the age of 27, and I've done some maths, it's about 1996, conducting featured more heavily in your life. Um, why? First of all, if you were you know, happily in your job. Uh, and then, and when it did start to feature more heavily, did you go and see, I know you mentioned seeking lessons in Freiburg, but did you eventually have some lessons at, a group of mentors or teachers how did it how did it first start for the journey from playing to conducting it was the ECYO that clicked it it was the uh thing that i saw that conductors and orchestra could do together and then a seed was yeah uh, what do you say planted sown yeah exactly and then actually also with uh, members of the ECYO, we went to Aix-en-Provence Festival. And I remember that uh, some of my British friends there offered to do chamber music. They realized very late that they had to do Stravinsky's Octet uh, mm. in two days. And they just said, Thomas, because I was the, the only one in the room, can you study the score for tomorrow and then just beat, beat us our way through this? And I, I, I literally loved studying that score, set mm. up at least one of the nights total. A friend at the academy here, she had to, to uh, sing three songs from Pierre Lunaire. I immediately said, I'll help you. I, it clicked in and then, then something really began there. And I thought, this is me. I, I, I love digging into to the depth of this. And I love focusing on, on sound and harmony and analyzing things and then actually see see it grow. And I can work with it and make, make a change. Um, so that's really where it began. Um, 
And then little by little, uh, people just asked me to help them along. There was a, a modern ensemble that still is here in Copenhagen, Atilas. They often needed someone for the complicated works, as, mm. as I'm sure you also know, you know, uh, to actually fix things quicker. They are they're so great ensembles, so they could do it themselves, but it would just take much longer. Mm. Um, and of course, we do add something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, conductors to to a performance but 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 there's a good reason why we were there to begin with um so um that that's really how it it all started uh, and then the music director with whom i actually tonight is going to celebrate his 70th birthday he invited me to assist him on paul ruder's kafka's trial at the opera the opera house that was just opening in 2005, the new opera in Copenhagen. So I was very happy to do that. And it ended up me taking over the production because he was so busy with it, with actually Elektra and mm. other things as a music director. And that, that made a turning point in terms of actually connecting with managers and people hearing about me. As mm. It is so important in our world, you know that. that uh, that the whole manager part of of what we do is 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 important, and that, that started in two thousand and five. You know, five with the with the the opera debut. I'm interested because it popped into my head because there may well be you may well be the only other person I've ever asked this question to, and I like questions like this for my podcast. Did you ever conduct your your colleagues? In yeah. you did. Isn't it, or wasn't it, the hardest thing you've ever done? I mean, I'm conducting my, some of you my, yeah, yeah. I, I was assistant conductor and sub principal second violin of the CBSO for nine years. You see, you see. Uh, and then I, I, I left and retired, and then became the associate conductor. And you know, I'm the next. My next gig is in just under two weeks' time, conducting Shostakovich Eight. And there are people in there who were in the orchestra before I joined in 1991. So yeah, I've conducted them. But no, nearly two hundred and ninety times, and there have been people on that stage who I was I sat next to. I, yeah. you know, I find it, I found it the hardest, and still do find it, to some respect, the hardest of all the orchestras I ever conduct. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and then I, I, I thought the night before the first orchestral rehearsal of this opera, of course, I thought, how is this going to feel? Um, though some of them, I through some years before have either agreed, if I've asked them, can we do some chamber music simply? And I've, I was honest, I would love to learn by doing, and you are my friends, my colleagues, if you're gonna do a chamber concert, what, how, what about this piece? And, and I put together some really good programs that made sense that I would then work with them. And they they agreed to that, and then other times they did ask me if I would do it for them. So I I, I had some kind of experience with working with friends mm. slash colleagues, yeah, but nowhere near uh, an important situation where you need to um, be on top of of also a rehearsal schedule, you know, mm. with a whole opera. But what what I found so beautiful was that the music that has taken me through my life in many difficult situations. Also here, it took me through um, by actual total focus on what it was about. Mm. Music, the character, getting things done and, and getting to a result. So you can call it what you want, but it's it's some kind of religion that 
that happens around around you, and your my senses just goes totally to the music. So within two or three minutes, I forgot that it was my colleagues. Then of course I'm reminded here and there when I actually have to talk with different colleagues that I knew maybe would have a little problem with me asking them to do something different. Mm. Uh, but that's also getting over it quick. But um, so I easily and quickly got over it. And now every year I work with them. I just did Electra and Valkyrie last year. And honestly, it feels very, very natural now. Um, and there, of course, there are also quite a lot of members in the orchestra that only knows me now as a conductor, not as a member of the orchestra. I'm smiling because you were gesturing with sign language, almost like a bubble helmet round your head as you were thinking about the music. And dear listener, I was smiling and nodding because I feel exactly the same because you you surround yourself with the music. And the only time I ever think about, you know, as Thomas said, is when I have to look up and give a cue to, you know, Mark the third horn who joined the orchestra before me or Margaret the contrabassoonist or, you know, and that's when I, I, I realise where I am. But most of the time, yeah, I'm with you. I'm in that bubble. I'm in that zone. And I was also smiling at the end because every time I go back into the CBSO, there are more and more people who only know me as a conductor. They don't remember... You know, the extremely loud second violinist used to sit on the second or third stand. <laughs> they don't remember him at all. He He's long gone. Um, <laughs> I noticed that your first two big jobs, and I think that I, I find this interesting because of the nature of these first two big jobs and radio orchestras. Your first job was uh, for three years at uh, principal conductor of Cork, or as it's otherwise known, the Norwegian Radio Orchestra. And then almost overlapping by a year, you then became the principal conductor of BBC National Orchestra of Wales. I'm going to come to those jump-ins again soon. But what about radio orchestras, especially the one I'm thinking about, Cardiff, in the fact that you, it's, whilst you do do standard repertoire, most of the stuff for the BBC is is either brand new, the ink is still wet, or it's somewhat forgotten, or it's, a, you know, a, a piece that hasn't been played for 50-odd years and they want to dig out because they're doing a strand for Composer of the Week or whatever else. And with Cork, because I've also conducted them, you know, they're the sort of orchestra, a little bit like the BBC Concert Orchestra and the Vidier Funkas Orchestra, that do everything. You know, the last time I conducted Cork was an opera gala and we played everything from Lloyd Webber to, I think there was some Puccini on there. Um, it's that very wide repertoire, isn't it, you get with these radio orchestras that, you know, you're learning new music every time you stand in front of them, aren't you? Even, you know, in the nine years between those two orchestras. Yeah, yeah. No, and that, that's also what I loved about it. There was um, some of the best meetings I've had when it comes to repertoire was with uh, BBC Now and, and Cork also, because it was they were exploring and wanted to develop the orchestra's repertoire, um, also because they're forced to it. That's part mm. of their job as, as a broadcasting orchestra or, or organisation. And the amount of music that I got to know um, there uh, that I might not have taken out as the first uh, pick, um, because as, as I'm sure you also know yourself, that there, there's so much of the stand-up repertoire that you feel that you need to know to understand the oeuvre of, of any, any, any composer, really. Uh, and in a way, is quite busy getting through, because I started as you said earlier on, quite quite late, especially when you look at young conductors nowadays. You know, mm. it was 
I, I was just a, had a different focus when I was younger and um, it just came very natural. And I knew also that I needed to be and wanted to be in a certain place as a human before I could become or would like to be a leader mm. uh, of especially of uh, a cultural organization um, because I know the personalities uh, well, I know that personalities can be quite difficult to <laughs> yeah. cope with uh, artists, you know, and if there are 80 of them mm. or even more, then there needs to be a certain kind of balance and knowledge about yourself and life before you get up there. That, yeah. that was my view. So I wanted to fix a few things uh, before I stepped on that podium. Do you, again, a question I've never asked anybody else. I look back, I, I became assistant conductor of the CBSO in 2005 when I was 35. I've started conducting amateurs five or six years before that. And I ended up doing 22 years as a professional violinist before retiring. I sometimes look back and think, I wished I'd started sooner. But... Most of the time when I ask myself that question or think about that, I think, no, I don't think you'd be the conductor you are now without those 22 years of experience of seeing how conductors handle the difficult personalities in the orchestra that you just mentioned. I was a little bit older. I was 35. I, I played virtually everything there could be to play by then, and I knew it from the inside. I mean, your your timeline is slightly shorter, but still it was a significant period. And as you said, you started conducting quite late. Have you ever asked yourself the same question? I, I wished I'd started sooner and come to the same or a different answer. Um, I, I know that that time in my life, I, I couldn't. I, I, I was, um, there was many other things to fix um, mm. on, on, on a personal level um, uh, and a certain kind of balance that I, I just instantly felt uh, needs to be there mainly for me to actually be a happy human being <laughs> but then secondly um quite um conscious about the the examples examples that i've seen of conductors leaders oh. that have done something really unbelievable and and something really horrible, something really under. I just couldn't understand it, mm. uh, and it could only it would only point towards a human being not being in balance. And yes. I just thought it's not worth it for for your own life. It's not worth it for the art. Um, so why? And I just wanted to make sure that I was not another example of that. Mm. So. No, I can. I I wouldn't have done it differently. Mm. Uh, the only thing I would say would have been nice, and that's why I work so much for for reaching out to uh, kids that doesn't have uh, the possibilities that I had. The only thing I I would have wished was maybe to live in a in a little bit of a bigger city where touring orchestras or even where there would have been a symphony orchestra where would i where i would have met or seen a conductor because i honestly think that it would have caught my interest maybe a little earlier mm. 
if I actually could mirror myself in 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 a conductor, and the the, the city I grew up in was not like that, yeah. um, and it doesn't have to be conductors in all smaller cities. That's not what I mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's important for me that there's a touring theater company that there is, uh, yeah, chamber music, as as the least. Um, then great if there's a big theater, a house company, an opera company, symphony orchestra, um, or, or, you know, a music, good music school. Jump-ins. I think they're very important. I think they're they're, you know, they're ways that we can be thrust in front of an orchestra at a very late notice. Um, would your advice be to take them if possible? Uh, were they always successful? I mean, obviously, we we know that the jump in with the BBC Now and and the the one with the RSNO ended up being very uh, very successful because you ended up having long term relationships with them. But what are your thoughts on jump ins for when you're you know if you a young conductor were to ring you up and say, should I do this? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's very situation specific, but you know, what would be your thoughts? My my thoughts would definitely be again what I what was important for myself to have good connection with my own feelings in general about my capacity as a or capacity, but my um, how am I as a leader. Would that fit in the experience I have now to go to that orchestra? Mm. Uh, in terms of the repertoire, if you can't change it, is it really clever to go in, fly to Germany and do a Brahms symphony, even if you've just done it once? Mm. Um, so yes, as you say, it's very based on on the actual situation. But um, that said, one push that was really important for me was a situation where I actually asked for half an hour's can I think and that was my managers um, sat next to the manager of, of the opera in Stuttgart she was down there for, on another occasion and they started talking about a conductor for Tosca mm. she immediately thought of me because coming from the opera world and being so passionate about voices and um, so she rang me um, once he got back to the hotel room and, and presented me with the idea, it's no firm invitation, but would you be interested? And then I said, let me give me half an hour. I don't think so. I've, I've never done it, but I know it incredibly well. I've mm. played it. I don't know how many hundreds hundred <laughs> times. But, and I'm very, um, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm very fortunate to remember tunes, harmonies, structures very well. So it just takes me, very little time to look through this score and I can kind of guess how it looks because I've it's it's here more mm. or less. Uh, that's very that's very fortunate. I could not sit down and play it on a piano. Um but so that that was the reason why actually I ended up saying yes, okay, let's go for it. Mm. And it ended up being a really important debut. So they wanted me to do also Luisa Miller the year after another Tosca round on the third year, and so so I've I've I'm very glad that I said yes to doing that. Um, but that's the only time for a jump in. It was not a real jump in, but it was quite 
immediate that they needed a conductor. It was like two or three weeks ahead. Mm. Uh, other than that, I think I'll, my advice would be that um, have have a really good feeling of what you can do at the moment. Um, if you if you know that you are you are maybe not the best person yourself to ask answer that question, then seek advice and and, and go through it with some experienced conductors because it's it is kind of well it is important not to burn your bridges. Mm. But maybe even more important to damage yourself by an experience that is maybe a little too high off the cliff. Mm. You know, uh, there will be another situation where they will ask. You know, don't worry. I agree so much with, especially those last couple of sentiments. I'm thinking of a particular jump in I was asked to do. It was less than 24 hours notice uh, with an orchestra I already had a relationship with, but not particularly. You know, I was doing sort of schools, families, other sort of concerts with them. But they asked me, you know, would I come and do this? And just the time constraints alone. And with music, I hadn't, uh, I either didn't know because it was brand new or I hadn't seen for 10 years. And it was one of those times I, I reluctantly, but now look back on it, think, thankfully said, no, I can't do it. Because I think I'd have I'd have burnt my bridges with an orchestra, orchestra I, you know, I still get invited to and I still enjoy working with because I'd have been underprepared and I would have not been in the right place you know i think there are other jumpings i've been asked for you know could you do these three pieces and i go yeah don't even have to look at the score i'd play them know them conducted them loads fine yeah i'm there i'm with you in half an hour but that was just one of those you know, it felt a bridge too far and yeah uh, i'm glad i turned it down i think yes yeah, situations and then michael i can think of many of our colleagues that uh that i adore that i know through themselves, but also through uh, some of their colleagues or friends that have told me, not that they shouldn't have told, told me, <laughs> but I know that they, they don't need more preparation time than on the train or in the airplane to mm. prepare themselves, for, even for a piece that they maybe haven't done for 20 years or because they know that they are so quick in the moment. They have so much experience so they can make it work. And mm. even in the first rehearsal, I mean, and then they would pick up second and third rehearsal and the concert would, for even themselves, feels as if they've known this piece for a long time. So we all very, very, very different, you know. Well, we, uh, there is an 11th question you don't know about yet before the 10 questions, uh, which is all about score prep. And so we'll come to that in a minute. I want to linger on your two current orchestras. The first one being RSNO. Uh, and if you compare that to Cork and with BBC Now, you know, you became principal guest in, in 2012 and had that role for six years before becoming the music director. Do you feel that that long-term relationship where you go to them once or twice a year before becoming music director has helped you become the music director as opposed to the other ones where maybe you only went once or twice before as a guest and then were immediately asked to go to the big job? In this case, yes, uh, I know the world, uh, not only within music, also sometimes functions in a different way. We just, we are in a relationship or we are in a time in our life. If it's an organism, an orchestra, or if it's human beings in between, I just need a change now. Yeah. And and uh, it, it can be as great a relationship or even a wonderful house with a great view, but I just need a change now because I'm, there can be many different reasons that we need 
to just have a different view on things. Mm. And in this case, it was we we just always functioned so well together, and we couldn't see why it should end here. Mm. Uh, in fact, we wanted it to develop to something bigger. So it was from being engaged to to really to marriage. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's a little bit the same here. Uh, I start in Minnesota next week. I fly. Uh, I start rehearsals uh, as music director over there, and we'll. Um, have a five-year contract and it was just a wonderful first meeting and and um i can't wait for the journey that i'm going to have with a new ensemble though i'm very aware that it's not just swapping out a different partner you know and simply mm. uh, having a new relationship that would uh, change everything it's just a a great deep relationship between two ensembles at the same time I, i'm sure that's possible and it would give a good uh, balance in, in different uh, working terms and as as you know um, an orchestra can they they have very different energies and and uh, you can reach different things uh, at certain points in in their life and in my life so um, it's uh, it's really exciting well toy 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 for your first week as music director um uh, it look i did have a look well, is your first week the Alpine Symphony? So you, do, you start with something nice and small, nothing too big. Yeah. <laughs> but then the second piece is Mozart's oboe concerto, so that's nice and small. Yeah. <laughs> um, we mentioned it earlier on, and specifically about those lucky conductors who can learn a score on a train or on a plane. But how do you go about learning a score? You said that you you, you happily can listen to it with your own inner ear. Do you start big and go in smaller and smaller to the details? Do you then maybe start page one and work your way through? And there are plenty of geeks who listen to this podcast who want to know, are you a scribbler or are not a scribbler? Are you a red, blue, black, uh, or just a light 3B? How do you go about learning your scores, Thomas? I uh, honestly, of course, when I was young, also to speed things up and to learn from experience, uh, I, of course, listened a lot to music. Mm. I also listened why why studying the scores. I get more and more away from that now. I still find it incredibly interesting and very, very difficult to keep my hands off all recordings because it's so interesting how orchestras, conductors, uh, instrumentalists, singers have done it over the years, and it would be stupid not to learn from it, especially when it's right there. I don't need to walk down to the library. So I get incredibly inspired by that. But I also feel that both my age, I'm uh, I'm born in 69. And, and uh, there's so much that's settled musically in me. So it's not going to color my, my interpretation majorly if mm. I live the day before rehearsal to a recording. It, because it's already there somehow by that time. And that's what I sometimes do just to get inspired. Oh, that's interesting. That kind of character or that tempo really is very, very different of what I thought. What does that bring or what does that take away in my view or whatever, if mm. I had time for it. And when it comes to the other question, I used to write thoughts, articulations, characters, entrances, even um sequences very very clear down in the score the only thing i do now is very important comments that i've had from early experiences mm. uh, in terms of intonation and often it's that 
chord and that's it's the third in that for some reason it's the way it's written it's tricky whatever just to remind myself um but but the actual phrasing you know this is a four bar phrase three bar phrase that i make very clear to myself because i like to connect uh, as much as i can with the orchestra and i know that my eyes would very quickly f find the end of the four bar phrase whatever if it's there mm. If I have to look too much for it, then I'm not sure I always can find it. So, and my eyes are getting a little trickier now. So that's what I keep to and 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 important entrances. Uh, I actually get a better better memory the older I get. So I do remember who plays in that chord. Uh, I don't need to specify that with a pencil. That would just distract my the important bit, which is maybe the entrance or or even just the contact of the musician. Mm. Um, so that's where I am now. I mean, over 130-odd episodes, everybody does it differently, as you can well imagine. As you know, if you've ever looked at another conductor's score, what's interesting is we are yeah, maybe a year apart. I'm at the moment, my eyes are, are terrible. I can either see the score and not the players' faces, or I can see put my glasses on, I can see the players' faces and not the score, and maybe vary focals as a way forward. But or bigger scores. I mean, my little pocket scores are now, you know, they're being retired. Um, I'm I doing Nielsen. I can see them behind you. They're, they're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, that's where they're staying now. I, I, I've just been asked to conduct Nielsen's Fourth Symphony uh, in 2024 in June, and I've used a pocket score for my entire career. The nine or ten times I've conducted it, no longer. I've had to buy a big one. Uh, you know, eyes cannot see it. No, no, yeah. no. I and I'm a red, blue, and black person, so I, you know I still write lots of things in, but even then I can't see it on a pocket score. It needs to; these things need to change. Are you a young conductor, thirsty for knowledge, and wanting to discover more about the world of conducting? If you are, then my Patreon page is there for you. I'm constantly posting new content there based on my experiences as a conductor and an ex-orchestral player, and I offer you the chance to ask me any question any time of the day. For instance, you might like to ask me how to mark up a score, as we've just been discussing. When you subscribe, you will gain access to interviews, video posts, tour diaries, articles and much more. If you pay for the whole year, then you will gain a 10% discount, and if you are a student, contact me directly and there will be a further discount. All of this can be found at patreon.com forward slash a mic on the podium. And from just £5 a month, you can gain access to this ever-growing resource on conductors and conducting. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com. Details and links to the page are in the show notes attached to this episode. Now, the all-important 10 questions with my guest, Thomas Zondergaard. Thomas, it's time for the 10 questions. And I always start with the same two lumped as one. What sound or noise do you love and what sound or noise do you hate? I love um, the sound of, of the sea, actually. I, um, I just love that. Uh, there's something very calming, or just water, I should say. Hmm. You might move to a different house and the first thing I think of is that I would love to have a little fountain. Uh, and... Already now, I'm trying to find that fountain because the sound of water is is just so beautiful. Mm. And the sound you don't like? Um, there's nothing that can disturb my the way I feel. 
as uh, stressful noises like traffic and uh, stressful people that, are, you know, it can be a bell on a, on, a, on a bike and there are loads of bikes here in, in, in Denmark. Or it can be a horn in a car. The other day I nearly, I, I got so stressful by someone that actually uh, used his horn in the car. So I nearly went into a pedestrian because mm. I looked at him and I got so stressed about the sound. Um, so I've learned not to react on that, but I, I absolutely hate that kind of noise. Mm. Something to take you out of your attention and reverie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm assuming you've, you're either looked at and bought, or you are in the in the position of trying to look and for a house in uh, near Minnesota. Um, is it a fountain in the garden, or are you going to try and look for somewhere near running water? No, it's actually in Sweden. Uh, my husband is a singer; he's a baritone, ah. and uh, he is from Sweden. And we've now lived in Denmark together for 19 years, and we would like to explore something new. And uh, I love Sweden and I love S Swedish people. And uh, and Malmö, just on the other side of the bridge here from Copenhagen is a beautiful town. And we found a house there. Um, we need to stay here as much as I would love to move closer to Minnesota or for that reason, even to Scotland where I've I've been with the Arsenal for many years. Uh, it's just like this and you know that um, his career uh, he's a freelancer as well. He's based on contacts around this region, mm. uh, Sweden and Denmark. And to suddenly move that to Scotland or to America is uh, impossible. Mm. Uh, and also I've got my, my wonderful mother who turns 80 in a few months. Uh, and I'd like to be with her her last year here. And and so it's easy for me to, to see her. So... Um, so the fountain is going to be, hopefully, you may cross your fingers because it's in these days, it's it will be uh, or not yeah. uh, in Sweden. Number three, if you had 24 hours free, what would you spend it doing? I would do something that that calms me down. And there's nothing better for me than, than uh, taking the time, if it's walking or on a bike or in a beautiful train ride, go somewhere, um, actually... Yeah, traveling, even if I do that so much. But it would need to go to a place where there's a beautiful setting, um, where there's hopefully a spa, treatments, wonderful food. Mm. Uh, it doesn't have to be Michelin-star food, but just really nice food, preferably seafood. Take my wonderful husband there and uh, just spend those 24 hours um, feeding the senses. Mm. Mm. The and actually, I wouldn't. Um, I would love to bring a little bit of music, just in case I miss Brahms, uh, which is the first one that comes to me. I'll listen to a little bit of Brahms' um, chamber music. His mm. sonata for violin, his first sonata, is one of my favorite pieces. I'll just listen a little bit to that. Maybe bring a book. So that's that would be my absolute um, uh, preferred twenty-four hours. It's a way of winding down. It's a way of turning the soundtrack off that's in our heads all of the time from the music we're studying or conducting or performing. And as you've said, if the, if the best way of changing the soundtrack is to put on one of Brahms's violins now, what a brilliant way of changing the soundtrack, you know. Yeah. 
So it's avoiding necessarily music. It's not necessarily that. Mm. But maybe silence and then uh, so I can hear the water. (laughs) (laughs) Can you name your favourite conductor or conductors of yesteryear? There's just no doubt that the conductor that made the most, uh, the biggest impact on me, both when I played, but also uh, inspiration from watching his concerts live, but still when I look online, it's Claudio Abado. Um, mm. uh, I, I did go quite a lot to Berlin when I studied in Freiburg, and I was fortunate to hear some of his concerts there. Among them, I'll never forget a Tchaikovsky 4, which Schell, where Schellenberger, the, the previous principal oboe, played. And it just stands as a very, very clear memory. And also, I've, I've, I've seen about a work, again, with the youth orchestras, uh, with the Berlin Phil. And even if I know that, and it's like that for all of us, we can never be liked by everybody. I'm not sure how I would feel if I had to work with him every day from what I've heard. But then again, I choose just to go on my, my own experiences from, from uh, working with him. Then I, I, I think your next question is the now living. Conductor. Exactly. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, the, the one that some conductors have found harder. Um, uh, can you name one or more than one? Um, I adore the, the depth the focus, the music making, the overview, the non-flirting for what conducting shouldn't be about with uh, Kirill Petrenko. Mm. I absolutely uh, would love to play for him. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I think there's such an honest... uh, uh, I, I think I see and hear honesty in in his musicianship, and that's that's what I'm I aiming for for myself. That there's no other thing than the core of the music mm. uh, there. Um, so him, and also I must say, I an artist like Tugan Sokiev, which is a completely different. Um, Conductor, I've met him a few times. We, we had the same manager at some point, and yeah. uh, I, I was also in Toulouse when I when he was there, and I think he still has a flat there, but I'm not sure. But he was in town, and we had a good talk. And uh, so, both as a human and as an artist, I admire him. Hero Petrenko is almost the embodiment of a of a line I've used with some of my conducting students. You know, don't be caught up in what being a conductor in inverted commas means, you know, what some people think it means, turning left on an aeroplane, get always being ferried around in a limousine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Try to be the best musician who also happens to be a conductor. You know, it's all about being the best musician. And I think he embodies it. He doesn't seem at all interested in all of the other stuff. You know, he just wants to be the best musician and make his orchestra orchestras play the music as honestly and as heartwarming well heartfelt way as possible and yeah that's why i'd love to play for him 
Yeah. Yet I don't know because I've never met him. Uh, but that's my that's the kind of vibes I get from seeing him work, and uh, not also not only that, but also seeing the musicians' eyes and interest mm. in 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 uh, communicating with him. Mm. So um, so far, yeah, that 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 that's very wonderful that there's someone like him getting uh, a major position. Uh, that's that's lovely. What is the hardest work you've ever conducted? So the hardest work, I would say, for many reasons, uh, Valkyrie oil. Um, the pure length of it, the overview that you as a conductor needs to have both when it comes to actually preparing the orchestra, that also you need to make sure that even if there's a changing team, which there are in opera houses, that they it's covered everything. Yeah. Not least uh, that you don't exhaust the singers uh, uh, and that you carry them, them through. So that's a part of the job as a conductor. It's just not not just the actual conducting mm. the piece. It's dealing with that piece as it comes and as, as it's uh, created. Uh, maybe Electra, which I did also yes, last year, is just complex in a different way. But when you say actually sitting at the desk and understanding the piece and make it easy for the musicians to get to the core of what I read that the composer must have meant is Ligeti's Violin Concerto. I did mm. that with Bias Rundfunk, uh, Bavarian Radio Orchestra, just before my summer holiday. But I was fortunate to have a great ensemble as they are, but also to have um, Hadelich. Augustin Hadley as a soloist, a very, very serious uh, musician that knows this piece very, very well. So it actually ended up being a great, great experience, but that's among the hardest I've done um, in terms of really digging into the meaning of the piece, making it as easy for the musicians as possible and for it to become an understandable piece and um, hopefully a piece that the audience will embrace. Three brilliant choices. Um, I mean, dear listener, the second act of Duval Cure is one hour, 40 minutes. I mean, just going through that you know, in a physical and trying to find the span of the arch, the architecture for one hour, 40 minutes to continue conducting music making is incredibly difficult. And, and you're just talking about the performance. Yes, you know, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is in itself really, really a challenge, you know, to yeah. just your mindset focused. But I'm also talking about the whole journey just to get to the performances mm. uh, of, of, of a major piece like that. Um, yeah, when you've got two casts or double casted or you've, you've got cast changes and absolutely, the whole journey is amazing. I'm going to tell you very briefly my Ligeti Violin Concerto story, which makes my... Every time anybody mentions that piece, my I get a shiver down my back, like my blood runs cold. We were doing it uh, uh, in Birmingham when I was sitting number five that week, and I think there were four second violin parts, and I was sitting number five. Well, and yeah. Simon Rattle was conducting, and we it was the second time, second concert that week, and I turned up to work about half an hour earlier, thinking, well, I wonder whether we'll be needed for the rehearsal. And the orchestra manager walked out and said, um, oh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you're on. Could you go and you're on the re The rehearsal is only the Ligeti and Simon's going to do the bits that you need to know. And I'd never seen the part. And I walked out there 
and opened up the first movement and thought, oh, this will be okay. And that, is it the second movement where you actually open out this, it's sort of four pages of nothing but scales. Uh, and I just looked at that and <laughs> it was just horrendous. <laughs> How did it go? Uh, I got away with it. I'll, I'll... <laughs> 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 I, I got away with it. And Simon smiled at me at the end as if to say, yeah, you got away with that. It's okay. Um, I mean, yeah, my God. Yeah, frightening. For, ne for next time, just when that when that name appears on the schedule, just, just maybe pick up the music a little earlier. <laughs> yeah, I learned that lesson. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I started looking at pieces I knew I wasn't going to be in just in case I might be in it one day. Absolutely true. Number seven, when travelling abroad to conduct, what item could you not leave home without? I would like to be good and say my trainers and my jockeying outfit. And I hope at some point that will be the answer to you. <laughs> I still happen to forget it. I really don't know why, uh, because I should be doing a little bit more of that in any gym or, for that sake, in a park, in a beautiful park. Uh, but it's close to that, I think, the answer. It's it's just important for me to have... Um, I can forget the baton, even if I think more and more that it's actually quite important uh, in many, for many reasons to, to, to use it. Um, but I think actually a pair of, of good shoes is, is really important, both when it comes to uh, standing up, as, as we do in rehearsals, um, but also to feel that you look good when when uh, or, or look decent when you either have a of course I uh, I've never actually so far forgot my concert dresses but but also I, I just like to have a, a good pair of shoes um, after all these feats will carry us for me for many years and I try to stand up a lot when I when I conduct because I just find that my own energy with the orchestra is different from sitting down and at some point i would have to sit down if i'm lucky enough to get old uh, uh, hmm. old enough um, yeah it was advice given to me early on by john wilson when he found out i was conducting he said make sure your shoes are always comfortable there's nothing worse than conducting with you know uncomfortable shoes on and i've always made that and as you said you need to kept the things that you wear so often, if you can feel comfortable and it's something you can wear in the concert or in a reception afterwards with, you know, especially when you're in Minnesota, you're going to be meeting an awful lot of people fundraising and philanthropists and all of that. No, it's a very, very good answer. And, and it's an answer I'm not sure I've had for a very long time. Um, <laughs> what are the answers most? Oh, I have yoga mats, um, all sorts of, of weird and wonderful things. Jogging shoes does come up a lot. Who uh, people who do go and jog? Uh, I'm not. I've never been a jogger, um, but yes, I've had some weird and wonderful answers. Honestly, I have. What is the one thing you would change about being a conductor? Traveling. Uh, the most often given answer, and it's as simple as one word: traveling. Yeah. If I if I could do less of that. Yeah, well, the problem is, you know, I I could throw that back at you and say, says the man who has two jobs, one in Minnesota, one in Glasgow, uh, and who lives in Copenhagen. But you know, it, it is exactly uh, it's it's what the job requires. You know, if you fall in love with an orchestra the other side of the Atlantic or either side of the Atlantic, that's what you do. You know, because we love 
working with orchestras we love. Yeah. And it's partly the time, it's partly the stress, it's partly uh, the, the 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 vibration in the airport. People that yeah. think that they they're, they're, they've paid enough money to get first in the queue, and and all that energy instead of just shoulders down. You in a week you will forget if you were number thirty or number one on the plane. It, what does it matter? You know, it's all that energy mm. uh, that I would love to avoid. So I've just taken decisions now just to relax with it and and. Um, but of course, I, I do understand conductors that that um, is happy to take a position in their hometown because it really limits. And also, not least, when we think about the pollution, mm. uh, so that there are other things I know uh, that that I should maybe think of as being more serious when it comes to our uh, planet. Mm. But I don't. I'm not happy about the pollution bit of it and i'm with you on the energy in the airports oh i i hate it i really do the sort of elbowing or the in self self-entitlement well i i've paid this I, I can do what i like you know i i hate it I hate it number nine again real or fantasy what profession other than your own would you like to attempt or have liked to have attempted architect oh brilliant same as me yeah yeah same answer I gave in episode one and episode fifty. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's it really really interests me how buildings are made and for what reason and um, and the choices the 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 everything from history uh, to newer buildings. You know, I can I can sit for hours and see programs and on buildings that are changed or you know. Uh, and my fantasy just just goes if I had an unlimited amount of money or time to to create my own space and how it would look and I, I find it endlessly inspiring. Have you thought, as I have, because I've asked this question 140 times, and a few people have said architect, it is very similar to what we do in a very broad sense in the fact that we're looking at the overall architecture of it, the how it looks on the outside, the 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 span, the arch, the shape. But also, as architects are involved in where the fire ducts go, where the wiring goes, what sort of latch goes on the windows, whether the door opens in or out, i.e. the details, as we would do looking at a score. We're not just looking at the overall picture of the score, we're looking at the details, the Boeings, when the wind players breathe. It's They are very similar uh, sort of outlooks. Yeah, and, even, and even taking it longer, longer what, what kind of atmosphere would this room have? What kind of textures would I love to, to touch with? Where should my feet walk on, on wood or, or concrete? Yeah. How's the light entering the room? Um, it, you know, everything from what, what you put into it as well. So it's maybe only not only architecture, but also design mm. uh, and and choice of of materials yeah yeah absolutely finally thomas if the world were to end tonight what would be your choice of final meal and drink there, there, there's there can only be one answer to that uh, <laughs> my wonderful husband andreas is a fantastic chef um and f for him to cook uh, for me is is among my favorite things. I mean, I, the amount of times that I've sat with a score and he comes in 
and and gives me a hug and say food is ready and uh, and he's not told me uh, what it is and then we go out and have the most wonderful dinner so it, that would have to be the answer mm. and would you drink wine with that beer with that water with that what would you both normally be drinking with your home cooked husband's meal my choice would would be uh, a bordeaux um and um Andreas's would be different. He's not so much into red wine, but what we can agree on is certainly a good bottle of champagne. So why don't we start there? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant choice. I love the fact that it's a non-specific answer, but it, it's definitely with a specific person and with a bottle of champagne, which sounds uh, like the perfect thing to do. And it's been a perfect hour. I've loved chatting with you, Thomas. And I hope whether I ever end up in Minnesota, I may well be in Glasgow, I am in Glasgow again in November, and uh, maybe in Copenhagen, we can sit down over a glass of champagne and have another chat. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Michael. And if I come to Birmingham, I assume you still live there? Or? I do. Yeah. Well, then let's uh, meet and, and have a glass, maybe even something to eat. It's been wonderful to, uh, to be here on your programme. A mic on the podium was devised and produced by Michael Seal, with music by Ben Dawson. Next time I chat with a conductor who was born in Cyprus, but he spent most of his life living here in the United Kingdom. He started his musical career as a pianist, going on to direct orchestras from the keyboard. Most significantly, in 1998 he founded his own professional orchestra, which he is still the music director of today, the Oxford Philharmonic Orchestra. But until then, Bye-bye.